I was talking with someone regarding leadership issues this week and hearken back to a story that I've told here, but I want to tell it again. Um, early in my ministry experience, I had some very positive experiences where I went into a, a, a program and uh, within a year was like the associate director and then went and worked for a a national, nationally known evangelist and actually did quite well in that setting as well and then became the youngest director in the country for a Teen Challenge Center out in San Diego. When Char and I left there, we entered into essentially a wilderness experience where I was working for a temporary job agency for almost a year and a half. And what that meant was going into machine shops and working in their back end on a drill press all day long. <laughs> We'd get these sets of, say, 40 holes to drill and tap, and you'd just be pulling the lever all day. And then maybe onto the milling machine. And, and uh, there was, I did some substitute teaching, whatever it took to make enough money to survive. And, and uh, during that time, I wrestled with kind of feelings of self-hatred. Um, I don't know that I was defining it that way, but it was like everything was going good <laughs> until you led me out of that situation, which was a very divine experience in getting out of there. But then nothing's going on. I'm in a church helping out an uncle that... Um, doesn't seem to care, treats me like his intern. And, you know, I'd, I'd probably, in, in the years previous, visited 100 churches, had a fairly clear idea of what I thought a healthy church would be, and nobody cared. <laughs> so that said, there was a defining day for me when I felt like the Lord asked me, am I mad at you? And... Said no, not as far as I could tell. And immediately the the following question was, "Why are you mad at you?" And I, and I didn't have a good answer. It's like if if the Lord was pleased with me, why shouldn't I be pleased? Well, it had a, a whole lot to do with my ego and what I thought should be, and you know, and, and all of this are dreams, personal dreams that I was carrying, and and yet. That was a, a, a critical experience because it was like, if God is pleased with our lives, what else really matters? So when I, when I went into the first church that I was pastoring, uh, I wasn't there too long, and I had a number of people mad at me. Surprise, surprise. It's part of leadership. There are seasons when that happens. And, and so in that moment... Uh, I had this situation where I'm, I'm having to evaluate, and it came back to me. Am I mad at you? No. Does it really matter what others think at that point? No. Well, obviously, we don't try to hack people off, offend others. You know, that's, that's not our goal. But ultimately, the answer for <laughs> whether we are at peace or not 
resides with our relationship to God. And so that, that valley experience, so to speak, of working in the machine shop and just not feeling like I was in a place where I, I had called to be was really crucial to weathering the next phase of my life. And we got through that season and had some very wonderful years, but you know, in that moment, you have this thing of, do I just cave to what others want, or do I follow, continue in what the Lord has? As a Christian community, we carry some of that same thing. Is God pleased with us or not? And if he's pleased with us, it really doesn't matter how others see our faith or anything else. You can call our beliefs antiquated, you can call them irrelevant, or you can say whatever you want, but if there's a sense within us that God has established what he desires and we're walking within that, then that's, that's enough. I had one of these aha moments this week, and, and I, I can share, and, and I'm not sure that I can verbalize what all I was feeling, but I... In some measure, um, I was considering uh, a conversation I'd had with my brother. He was visiting this week, and, and uh, we, I'm going to get to Psalm 2 eventually. Trust me on this one. Um, we were sharing some past experiences, and, and I was, you know, we were talking how, um, with our fourth child, how we lost friends because people were going, don't you know how to control this? And, and, you know, why we, you know, we don't want to be around another baby, you know, and, and we actually lost friends. And, and I tell everyone, you know, our friends at that point wanted more toilets in their house than kids, or they wanted more cars in the driveway than kids. But, you know, it was, it was that financially driven mindset. And yet, so often we can get onto that treadmill of, you know, if we, if we accomplish this or attain this, we'll be happy. I've watched some of you walking through this whole thing of buying a house. And there's this, this desire that says, oh, Lord, we so desperately want our own house. And, you know, I think it's an appropriate step, but the timing is crucial to having our hearts set before the Lord and saying, what do you want in this? Is this really... You know, is this your time or not? Because it's easy to step into something that really isn't him, where it's just, well, everybody else buys houses, so we need a house too. And, and you can do that in, you know, what should my occupation be? But it's so easy to just drive, 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 and all your waking hours are spent trying to accumulate enough money to get enough things, when the truth is it isn't truly going to satisfy because all of this financial thing is temporal. Every form of money that you have, or every possession that you have, it's a temporal thing. And so it doesn't have the stamp of eternity on it, and it never will truly satisfy. The other picture that I was reminded of, I um, had the privilege of going with Michael to the Philippines years ago, and, and one of the distinct memories I have is a young man who was dying with some kind of liver or kidney disease, I don't remember, but it was... It's from ingesting the, the water of the area. But 
he had a wife and at least three kids and a sister-in-law living with him in about a six-by-six-foot little hut. But they were happy. They had the joy of the Lord as a part of their lives. And I, I, I hearken back to that memory, and I'm going, it's not about your possessions. Not about your house. It's how could they have the peace of God and the joy of life connected with that, except that it was more than associated with temporal things? And so there's this tension in us that tries to sort that out. And, and realistically, all of us in a wealthy nation are wrestling with those issues and, and will continue as long as wealth is a part of us. It's easy to get caught up in just you know, working endless hours to achieve what? At the cost of what? One of the other experiences I had there was I, I watched guys working in a crew. And my training, you know, have a good work ethic. You work, work, work. You really don't even talk to others while you're working because that would distract. And in that setting... Everybody was talking and kind of jabbering and just having fun, and, and some work got done. And I'm looking at it going, that's not at all what I've grown up with, but I, there's a measure of health here that I really like. I mean, they're, they're not about just getting done. They're about the process as well, and there's something here that I have never captured. It's just not a part of my thinking. I, I, you know, even, even today, you know, if we go do something together, generally, I'm about the task. And yet, relationship to them was as equally as important or easily as important as the job itself. And so, you know, at times, these cross-cultural things can help challenge us. So, you know, again, all that said, um, our, how the church is viewed within society is changing, how, um, how we are interacting with our government is going to be changing. Um, most of our lives, we have not lived with an adversarial government. We may be walking into those days. The joy and peace of your life is not dependent on your government. The joy and peace of your life is connected to God. And it'll always be that way. And so there's this challenge before us to say, where's the Lord in this? What we do and what we will continue to cling to as a church is that we will recognize Scripture as being the Word of God. And we will attempt to discern what the Word of God is speaking into our lives. And we will call upon the Holy Spirit who has written the document through individuals to give us insight as to understand what that Scripture is speaking to our hearts and what we need to take from it even now. And we will continue to walk in that path. We will continue to call out to God and say, what are you speaking to us? Are you happy with us? <laughs> if you are, we're going to be happy as well. 
we are going to continue to look at the Scripture and say this is a precious document. It's not just individuals with you know, insane writing abilities. It, no, it was guided by God. And as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to us, there's life for us to gather from it. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations plot, and why do their people make useless plans? This kind of thing's gone on for a long time. This was written a thousand years before Christ. The kings of this earth have all joined together to turn against the Lord and His chosen one. They say, let us cut the ropes and set ourselves free. Freedom! <laughs> this almost sounds like it could apply in contemporary settings. Almost. <laughs> in heaven, the Lord laughs and sits on His throne, making fun of the nations. The Lord becomes furious and threatens them. His anger terrifies them as he says, I've put my king on Zion, my sacred hill. David's writing and he's saying, God established this thing. God chose Jerusalem. He chose me. It wasn't the choice of other kings. He's just making a declaration. God made this decision. Did what he wanted to do. And then the Lord comes back and he says, I'll tell you the promise that the Lord made to me. He says, you're my son because today I've become your father. And so even in it, God, he's saying God has made a decision. The fact that you and I are children of God, that was his choice. It wasn't something we chose. The fact that he selected David and said, be the father, Something God did. It wasn't something David could do. But then this gets even more interesting because through David comes the line of Jesus Christ. So in some ways, David is the father of the son of God. You know, there's a connection. There's a prophetic hint coming out of this passage that says, this thing is bigger than you know. Thousand years before, there's this declaration coming out, something is going to happen through this family line. And it's powerful, and it's hearkened to by Jesus. And going, I associate with this passage because I know what God has done. Let's walk this through just a little bit. Romans 1.3, the good news is about his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as a human, he was from the family of David, but the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the powerful Son of God because he was raised from death. In Luke chapter 1, God was making the promise to Mary that she would bear his son. And it says, you will have a son, his name will be Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will make him king. As his ancestor David was, he will rule the people of Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. So the promise coming to her is that she would have a son, but also the extended promise is that Jesus will rule forever. At his baptism in Mark chapter 1, as soon as Jesus came out of the water, he saw the sky open and the Holy Spirit coming down to him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, you are my own dear son, and I am pleased with you. 
on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are up there with Jesus. And the cloud envelops them. And it says, The shadow of the cloud passed over and covered them. From the cloud a voice said, This is my son. I love him. Listen to what he says. Again, when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, our theology is not up for sale. Scripture is very specific. This is a unique being. He is the Son of God. There's, there's a preciousness and a specialness about his life that doesn't fit with any other teacher or philosopher or guru. He's unique. We will continue to treat him as unique. Hebrews chapter 1. God has sent his Son to bring his message to us. God created the universe by his Son, and everything someday will belong to the Son. God, his Son, has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like him in every way. By his own mighty word, he holds the universe together. After the Son has washed away our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the glorious God in heaven. So again, he's saying there's a uniqueness about the Son who lived on this earth, who died and is resurrected, who washes away our sins. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only Son who is truly God and is closest to the Father has shown us what God is like. And in John 3, God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only Son, that whoever has faith in him will have eternal life, never really die. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn its people, he sent them to, him to save them. No one has faith in God's Son will be condemned, but everyone who doesn't have faith in Him has already been condemned for not having faith in God's only Son. When we talk about the uniqueness of Christ and being the only source of our salvation, again, we're not saying that we don't have appreciation for other groups or anything else. We're just saying our belief is that Jesus is unique, that every knee needs to bow before Him. Similar to what we were doing earlier, it's it's a physical, physical outward expression of saying, I submit to you. Your, your leadership is unique. You are precious beyond all measure. You're not just like another human. And so when we, when we walk through this, there's an appreciation that comes to us and says, the unique Son of God who came to earth and showed us how to live is also the same one who died so that our sins might be forgiven and we might be at peace with God. This theology is not up for sale. It's not up for change. It's not up for you know, um, discussion, so to speak. This is the basics of what Scripture teaches. And as long as you hold on to the Scripture as a precious document, this is something that you maintain. As a result of Jesus' resurrection, he comes back to the disciples and said, all authority has been given to me, now go make disciples. In other words, because of this transition of power and because of what's been accomplished, then you have this responsibility to take this message outward. Let's go back to Psalm 2. Ask, for me, ask me for the nations and every nation on earth will belong to you. You will smash them with an iron rod and shatter them like dishes of clay. Be smart, all you rulers, and pay close attention. 
Serve the Lord and be glad. Show respect to his son. Because if you don't, the Lord might become furious and suddenly destroy you. But he blesses and protects everyone who runs to him. That's the beauty of what we have, is that every person that used to Christ has the opportunity of being embraced by him. I was thinking of the prodigal son this week and the story told in Luke chapter 15. Son gets the property, runs off, lives ridiculously, eventually comes to a crisis point and says, the only place where it, uh, there's a hope of life is back in my father's household. But will he even accept me? Maybe I'll go be a servant. And what happens is the father says, no, this is my son. Not a slave. You know, you're not doing penance just because you did sin. Your salvation is that the Father loves you enough to embrace you and pull you back in. So the picture of the robe and the ring and the sandals are all declarations. This is a son. So sons and daughters of God, that's, that's what we embrace and recognize us being called to. A final picture. Revelation chapter 19. You know, this, this Psalm 2 speaks of the son being called, but also God's propensity to say, enough is enough. There is a day coming where Jesus comes back as a warrior. This is the picture. I looked and saw that heaven was open. White horse was there. Its rider was called Faithful and True. He's always fair when he judges or goes to war. He had eyes like flames of fire and was wearing a lot of crowns. The idea of extra crowns is that he holds the authority of all the kingdoms that you can imagine. The king was the symbol of, of, of the ruler over the land. The crown was the identity piece, the symbol of it. Him wearing crowns says he has authority over the nations. The rider wore a robe that was covered with blood. He was known as the word of God. He was followed by armies of heaven that rode on horses and were dressed in pure and white linen. That, that picture of blood on the robe is, is an intriguing thing. And, and it, you know, some say dipped in blood, which may liken to the Old Testament sacrifices of a blood covenant where they would walk through and their robe would literally drag in, in the gore. But it was like this visual reminder, or it may be just the, the price of war. It may be the, the, the Son of God whose blood was poured out for us but it's still, it's this, this imagery of violence that says the God who loves us still has a violent side in response to sin. And that's something that, that we need to be aware of. And he has a violent response to nations that refuse him. From his mouth a sharp sword went out to attack the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod and show the fierce anger of God all-powerful. By trampling the grapes of the pit where the wine is made. And a part of the robe that covered his thigh was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. One last verse. We must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and make our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to a cross because he knew that later on he would be glad he did. Now he is seated at the right hand of God's throne. So keep your mind on Jesus, who put up with many insults from sinners, 
then you won't get discouraged and give up. And I put that out to you. As long as you keep this consciousness of the Lord within your life, the awareness of what He's done and who He is and what shall be, then when you walk through life, you can ask the questions, you know, similar to, is God mad at me? Is God mad at us? No? Well, then we're good to go. (laughs) And a peace is available that overrides any situation. And that's our privilege in Him. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you that it speaks life to us. I thank you for our passage. It was given to David a thousand years before Christ, and yet has the imagery of your son. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth and sacrificing your life for our sins. I thank you for the resurrection and the hope of eternal life with you. I thank you that one day you will return as a victorious warrior and ruler of all the nations. We look forward to that day. Amen. I remember uh, wrestling through the issue, was God creator or not? And reading all the science that I could find, reading the arguments on every side, but coming back to this core belief, I truly believe he created all things. And whether that's called obsolete or ridiculous by others, at this stage of life doesn't matter to me. I'm truly convinced God created the universe. And there are other things, you know, that go on socially where you're kind of going, well, that's obsolete or it's inappropriate. You know what? (laughs) If you have this anchored belief, it's... It's just settled for your heart, and you just work to go on, you know. I wanted to walk through a couple things. Are you able to answer, is God happy with me? For some, that's a, uh, it's like, uh, well, I hope so. No, I, there can be a confidence that God is satisfied with your heart. And I'd like to pray with you if that's not settled or or get to someone that you trust and just say, I need that peace as a part of my life. You know, your upbringing may be such that you never had that. I I don't know. You know, I I have one parent that was never able to give a compliment directly to her kids. Uh, Just blew that, didn't I? and loved us deeply, but just, you know, that was part of the upbringing. Well, you know, that has its impact, but the truth is, it doesn't really matter at this stage of life. We're all fairly confident, you know, of who we are and what God has done and, you know, all that's established. But it comes partially through this thing of, God is pleased with my life. And I want you to know that that's available. And that's the first thing. Then you step forward and you say, is God pleased with us as a people? Now, if we can answer that successfully and say, yeah, we're doing what he wants. 
And we're, we're responding when he calls. We're, we're following through with what he's asked us to do. Then there's a, there's a corporate well-being that can rest in our midst and a, and a peace, so to speak, and a joy. That's why, in some ways, coming, coming here, there are times when you know that as chaotic as the rest of the week has been, something happens in here that you go, you know, life is okay. Things are going to work out. Or it just, you know, there's a, an awareness of his peace. Why is that? Because corporately we've encountered him again. And something's gone on in our hearts and this assurance rises up and says, we're good. What a privilege that is. What an honor in the Lord. I just want to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for God's blessing on you as you go out this week. And just ask that uh, as you live it out, that you're a light to the lost world. And there's a confidence of his spirit being established in your heart, guiding your steps. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy your peace. I pray for each one here, even in this moment, with whatever they might be wrestling with individually, that there will be a confidence that rises up and says, God will win and rule this day. God will oversee this situation. God will bring me through victorious in him. Now, Lord, even corporately, we pray for wisdom from you. We pray for your blessing on our lives. We pray that the leaders of this group and, and leaders across our nation who are following you and attempting to hear your voice will discern what your scriptures say and walk carefully in it. Obedient to your Holy Spirit in whatever you call us to do. As each one goes into the community this week, I pray that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable them to carry out the supernatural and to be loving toward all. I ask that your name will be lifted up and exalted as we honor you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.